presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. In 2019, the Colorado State Legislature passed a new law establishing a significant greenhouse gas emission reduction targets. Those targets include a statewide reduction in greenhouse gas emission of 50% from the 2005 baseline by 2030 and an 80% reduction from the 2005 baseline by 2050. The 2019 bill, known as HB 1261, quote, the Climate Action Plan to Reduce Pollution, unquote, and many other bills that have passed since then have authorized new forms of regulation with the intent of meeting the state's new greenhouse emission reduction goals. Today, I'm joined by two important guests to talk about just one of these new regulations currently making its way through the rulemaking process. The, quote, Employee Trip Reduction Program, unquote, or ETRP, would regulate your commute to work in an attempt to take single occupancy vehicles off the road. To help us with this topic, I want to welcome Sandra Solon and Tom Brook. Sandra is the founder and head of Capital Solutions, has been at the center of major public policy debates in Colorado for several decades. Sandra represents the Business Alliance for Economic Regulatory Sensibility, a party to the ETRP rulemaking. Sandra, welcome back to the podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. You're welcome. Also joining us is Tom Brook. Tom is a president and CEO of Denver South, an economic development organization focused along the I-25 corridor south of Denver. His organization is also a party to the ETRP rulemaking process. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Earl, thank you very much for having me on your show today. I really appreciate it. This is a great topic. You're welcome. Glad you both have joined us. Let's get started on the basics. Sandra, we'll start with you. What is this regulation and why should people, you know, listening even care? So this regulation, you outlined some of the high-level pieces of it. It will dramatically um, change the expectation of employ between employers and employees with respect to driving behaviors and commute to an employee's work. There's a tremendous burden that's placed um, not only on the employer, but on employees as well to meet the expectations that have been set through this um, employer trip reduction program. And um, as you outlined, you know, a 25% reduction in the early years, in the first, sort of first tranche, and then up to 40%. Um, there's some modifications that may come on that early end, but ultimately a desire of the state to see a 40% reduction in single occupancy vehicle use by 2025, which is significant. And that applies to large employers, over 100 employees, and it comes at a significant cost um, to those employers. But the burden and the expectation is on the behavior change of employees themselves. And so there ought to be some concern of our citizens of Colorado and the North, the Denver metro area and the North Front Range as well. And I should mention, I also represent the Chambers of Commerce and Economic Development Entities in Northern Colorado under the auspices of the Northern Colorado Legislative Alliance. So Tom and I sort of complement one another in this discussion because of his work on the South in, in the Denver metro area and then our work up North. Your comments raise a lot of questions in my mind, but first of all, I'm going to go to you, Tom. Has this been tried in other states? And if so, uh, how has the regulation worked and how does it compare to, to what we're trying to do? 
Thanks, Earl. Well, programs like this have been tried elsewhere. Um, there are a number of different derivations of this in, in, in a fair number of states, actually. Um, this program is most closely being modeled after a program that was implemented in Washington and the Seattle area over about the last 20 years. In speaking with the regulators and implementers of that plan, it's clear that they are continuing to iterate on that plan and how to improve it. And currently they are going more to a carrot or incentive approach rather than the stick of mandates. One of the big differences here in Colorado that's being proposed is, as Sandra alluded to, the concept of targeting behavior change. And the Washington plan recognizes that drive alone rate, as they refer to it, or single occupancy vehicle rate, as we refer to it, as goals. And those goals are varied by the various regions around the Seattle area, um, principally driven by access to, to public transit, which is one of the primary means of reducing uh, commuting traffic. Whereas in Colorado, we're proposing uh, to have that drive alone target as a required reduction. Um, and those, those reductions are not taking into account access to RTD, Denver's Transit Authority, in regards to making these, these targets. So Seattle is your one example. And, and I guess, have they been successful? They have been successful in making change. Um, again, they, they have taken a much more varied approach. So they, their region, they have a lot more regions. So I don't, off the top of my head, I think there's five or six or seven different regions they go by and the goals they're targeting are driven unique to that region. But they have, they have made reductions in reducing traffic. Whether that's attributable to this program or not is always difficult to say, but they have made some, some reductions in single occupancy vehicle been effective at commuting mass transit and been effective at uh, encouraging other unique programs such as van pools, um, carpooling programs, et cetera. Well, again, another follow-up to that question then, has their success been enough that would suggest to us that uh, we could reach our goals of 50% reduction by 2030 based upon the success that the Seattle, Washington has had? I think that would be aggressive. I, I think that kind of reduction is, is going to be challenging. I, I, I do think one other thing that's pertinent to our time now is you know, 2020 and the first half of 2021 gave us a massive psych, a sociological experiment. And we've had significant changes, as, as you well know, in employee community behavior and work from home and such. I, I think we've, we need to be able to assess and use a data-oriented approach to how is this really going to work. Because one of the things we saw over the pandemic was a, a marked decrease in commuter traffic in the mornings, which is one of the primary goals of these programs, or should be, because ozone is one of the primary, uh, one of our primary pollutants here in Denver. But that also was quickly rebounded to where the commute traffic stayed down, but overall traffic increased back up. So there is human behavior is a difficult piece to regulate in its in its aggregate piece. Well, give us a, just a follow up a little bit more, Tom. Then we'll go to Sandra. You've got uh, a lot of large employers that uh, you're responsible for representing. Uh, what's top of mind uh, from their perspective with regards to the uh, implementing of this rule? I think one of the things they're looking at is they're they're looking at that they want they want to take steps to address air pollution. They recognize the ozone is an issue. They recognize pollution is an issue. Their workforce tells them, and, and workforce is a big issue for them. So they, they, they make decisions to support the workforce and make, make decisions to support their local communities. They're not out here as bad actors. Um, they live here, after all, so they have the same, the same components. What they're really looking for is how, to be, how do we do this as a partnership? We want something that, a program in place that we believe will actually improve the actual target, which is air pollution, we're not trying to we're not trying to regulate employee behavior. We're trying to improve air pollution. 
So we want that, we wanna make sure that we are partners in that and we have options available to us that will allow us to meet the customized aspects of our workforce, our work requirements, our access to transit, et cetera. We have a number of manufacturing and other service industry jobs who, who need to have employees on hand. They need, it's very tough, tough to stock shelves at King Supers from your home. It's very difficult to manufacture and bring the assembly line to a work from home environment. So the big piece they're looking for is give me a program where I can actually contribute actions of me and my employees that will actually improve the air quality and reduce the air pollution in Denver. That's, that's the biggest thing we're hearing from them. Sandra, you're obviously out in the business community and represent folks. So what are you hearing from businesses in your region? Anything you you know you can add to what Tom said you'd like to add? Yeah, no, Tom well articulated the strong interest of the business community to be partners in this in the challenge that we have before us. Um, how we go about that is where the conversation gets a little bit more difficult. In our region, um, in northern Colorado, we have Well County, which is, with the exception of Greeley area, it's largely rural, and there are different considerations that need to be taken into account when you have urban versus rural type of interactions and uh, less options for um, employees in the rural parts of the boundary area for this e-trip plan. Furthermore, you have a whole different type of workforce in a Weld County where you have agriculture and oil and gas and people who need to be on the job and in person. Their work from home is not an option for many of the industries in that neck of the woods of Colorado that are so critical to our economy. And so when we talk to employers in northern Colorado, those types of issues begin to emerge. Additionally, again, the burden upon the employee is is really critical. And one of the one of the significant concerns we've raised through our uh, party uh, pre-hearing statements, if you will, is with respect to disproportionately impacted communities. And we hear a lot about that topic on a whole host of issues related to environmental topics. But we see an impact here that we is actually counterintuitive to that which the proponents of this plan hope to achieve here. And we actually have real concerns um, and have been in conversations with those representatives of disproportionately impacted communities about their true access to options and the additional burden, the disproportionate burden placed upon ag workers and um, and others in the field that and in, in various industries that would be again, burdened with the need to achieve these objectives. And while there aren't specific enforcement or penalties upon employers, there are other indirect ways in which uh, the employer, consequently the employees will be bear the brunt of the desire to see this program move forward in a mandatory way. We would much prefer to see something far more voluntary and partnership as Tom mentioned. Well, Sandra, I want to. I you, you kept you mentioned burden a couple of times and uh, mandatory and all this, and it sounds to me like uh, here I I run a company, so I'm taking this rather personally. And I'm saying, hey, wait a minute, do I have to uh, make certain that certain people take the train if they say they're going to take the train, or they're going to take the light rail if they're going to take the light rail, or they're going to they're going to make certain they have an elect uh, they do really have an an EV vehicle. 
Um, do I do I go down and count the cars in the garage to make certain they represent what they say? And, and to whom do I report? Help me out. Right. Yeah, there are, again, while there aren't specific enforcement um, provisions or penalties, there are expectations with respect to surveying, presenting a plan to the state on how, what types of programs you as an employer will implement to encourage your employees to assist this company in achieving the objectives that have been set by the state. So there is, there are requirements upon the employer to demonstrate advancing um, the objective and the timelines that the state has articulated. Well, it's one thing to say I put a plan together. Now, does that mean that every month or every quarter I then say, here's how we're doing versus that plan? Um, are we, are we all of a sudden, uh, Having ourselves, like in our business, we have the uh, feds come in from the Federal Reserve. We have fed people come to the Office of Control of Currency come in and do an audit. So are you suggesting the state is now going to have some kind of a functional audit of what we're doing relative to what they approved when we submit something? So a lot of those details have not been fully contemplated. There is an expectation of periodic. Um, again, surveying no less than annual, certainly, but um, those are those are questions that are still out there. What type of, they haven't even fully contemplated what type of resource they would need to do that assessment to check in on employers. So there's, there's still a considerable amount of um, questions out there about how this is fully implemented um, in a way that the state is envisioning. We all have a desire to have greenhouse gases uh, be under control and, and become less. Um, but let me ask the, the obvious question, how are we going to measure the, uh, the actual benefit of all of this effort and what's the cost associated with the effort versus other alternatives that we might be able to think about that for the same cost could get the same result? And that is one of the um, arguments that I know we've made and I know Tom has articulated in his um, pre-hearing statements is the cost benefit of this um, we believe is the costs are significantly understated and the benefits are significantly overstated and it's a fair question how exactly do we do we truly uh, assess whether this program is having the effects and benefits that, that they want to the reality is there are other ways in which greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector can be more um, more readily assessed and accomplish much more. Uh, the legislature passed Senate Bill 260 this last legislative session. It had a whole host of environmental provisions as well as significant um, incentive and measures to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles. Utilization of electric vehicles proved are proving to be, and uh, proponents of them believe that that will take uh, just having more electric vehicles on the road with the objective, I believe the governor had an objective of 100,000 electric vehicles on the road by 2030. That would account for 75% of the greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so there are other, other methods by which we can reduce the emissions that aren't onerous to employer and employee. And we believe in addition to that, you've got changing behaviors as a result of the pandemic 
and commute times or commute approaches, that now's not the time to implement a mandatory program. You, you, you have a report in, in a memo which states the way of work is changing and ETRP doesn't reflect the future. Uh, build on that for a second, would you please? Yeah, and, and Tom alluded to this as well. We saw through the pandemic a significant amount of work from home, of course, and it, it allowed for employers to understand and appreciate the level of productivity in a work from home environment and a demand as a consequence of employees on their employers where it's, where it's viable to work from home. And that will have significant benefit to the reduction of single occupancy vehicles. But this is all still unfolding. We're still emerging from the economic um, consequence of the pandemic. Employers are still determining their next um, steps and the way in which they want to structure. We're still in an experiment in many respects. And there's still need for time to see truly how this unfolds and what the impact and benefit is of that. Um, we've had a taste of it. Employers across the country and certainly in Colorado are implementing work from home um, options for their employees. And we have more time to really see how this benefits. And again, on a voluntary basis, that's how the market works. With employee uh, shortages, there are increasing needs for employers to provide greater benefit, one of those benefits work from home. So things are still unfolding and we say, let's let's hold off on this mandatory e-trip. So while some companies may already be increasing the amount of remote work that you're talking about, Sandra, others may not, or simply they just can't because of the nature of their business. Does the current draft rule take any of this into account? And what happens if a business doesn't comply under the current rules? You talk about being voluntary, the legislation is more mandatory. Tom, help us out, if you would. Explain a little bit about uh, uh, how this just may not fit with the way uh, work is really done. Thanks, Cheryl. That, that's, a, that's a great question. And I think as, as we look at this, and as Sanders alluded to, one of our concerns is this, this regulation as currently proposed doesn't really take into account some of those nuances and differentiators that we think are that are very vitally important to be able to conduct a business and to effectively impact this. So right now it's unclear. We'd like to have it modified so that the SOV reduction requirement is, re if you fail that, you are required to annually review that and then implement or make updates to your plan designed to achieve the desired reduction. So if we're supposed to get to a 25% reduction or have no more than 75% of our employees commuting to work, in a single occupancy fossil fuel fired vehicle. Um, and we don't make that. We are continually required to modify and make enhancements to either the plan or the implementation of that plan. Um, thus, every year the employer would potentially have to spend more and make significant more investment, even if they've already done um, significant efforts in that regard. So for example, if, if I have an employee, if I have a company of 150 employees and I buy all of my employees eco passes, but they don't use them either because they choose not to for safety reasons or other, or because they can't because every business and every employee does not have equal access to RT, depending on where you live, where your company is, you may or may not have access to public transit and RTD. This would say, even if I bought them all and they didn't use them, okay, you got to do more. Well, as you know, uh, for me to make an eco pass available to all my employees is a fairly consequential and significant investment. 
but we've got to keep doing more as this is written. Additionally, it doesn't really take into account the, the requirements for the service industry, service industries and manufacturing. And to the to the to echo the comments that Sandra had on there, this is one of our concerns. You're gonna you're gonna adversely impact, disproportionately impact a number of already disadvantaged populations. So if you think about all the large retail places, almost every King Supers, every Target, Costco has more than 100 employees. Um, you know, I think about the large restaurants, the manufacturing facilities. We have to be able to take those into account. We've suggested that one of the things we'd like to do is how do you move some of these levers around to give the employers more option to comply? So those are those are some of the things that we do. The last big concern we've got are, and I'll stop rambling here, but we do have a concern that, as Sandra's alluded to, and I think we alluded to in our, in our statement, this attempts to hold the employer accountable for employee behavior. That's kind of a new paradigm. And for, yeah. for the state to go in here and say that, you know, you have to keep doing these things to get your employees to commute in a certain fashion. There's a whole host of factors that go in there. Think of single moms um, or parents dropping kids off in their daycare. Well, my daycare is halfway to the office. I don't take the train or the bus because I have to get my son or daughter to daycare. I drop them off, come in. So I'm, I'm actually saving fuel or saving pollution by making my trips more efficient as opposed to my, you know, having multiple trips by my other spouse or some other person. So I think as we look at this, we have to provide a more nuanced regulation that'll, that provides for some of these um, unique circumstances. Do I hear the two of you saying that if there are some voluntary guidelines and then the state looked at how successful the voluntary guidelines were working, that might be a better first step than having man something mandatory. I'm not trying to tell you what you're saying as much as I'm trying to gather the, the kind of the drift of what you're saying. I believe the business community is very open to a conversation, a dialogue about a program, a process, encouragement, incentives, things that continue to move the ball forward with respect to reductions in the greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation sector, but do so in a way that is, is truly a partnership with business. And business has proven time and again that they're willing to step up and work um, in a way that accommodates their unique needs. The way in which this program is structured today, it's a one size, essentially a one size fits all approach. And that's just not a realistic way in which to entice and engage employers in a meaningful way to accomplish a goal. It's that carrot versus the stick approach, right? At the end of the day, we wanna be partners and we're all on the same team, but the way in which it's presently structured, it, to, um, it's an us versus them scenario, and we don't. We prefer to see, I mean, collectively, work towards um, a plan that makes more sense for the business community. Well, that maybe fits into the what's going on right now. That there are upcoming hearings, and that the uh, rules are being drafted. Where are the regulations? Uh, where's the process at the present time and establish those regulations? And should people get engaged or who, what, what do we do um, with regards to helping this be put together correctly? Well, the, the, short answer, the short answer is yes. There is tremendous opportunity here for individuals, employees, citizens to engage in the process. There's time for public comment. How, how, Sandra, how do they find out yeah. where these meetings are and where they're being held and how they can uh, have yeah. a chance to learn more? 
So there is a formal rulemaking begins on the 18th of August and um, through the 20th, 18th through the 20th of August will be the formal rulemaking of the Air Quality Control Commission where they will take this up. Public comment and written comments are allowed um, and it's just a matter of going to the website. We'll connect, we'll get those links to you all uh, to ensure that folks have that option. And then not the employee on the employee side and as well as the employers themselves talking, discussing um, what this approach means to their individual business and the decisions that they will have to make. Tom has a wonderful example of businesses in his area, within his membership, who have expressed significant concerns from an economic development perspective about what they'll have to do in the future and their decision about Colorado. And I think those are tremendously important and powerful stories. I also wanted to highlight, uh, because I know Common Sense Institute has done a tremendous amount of work around this the she session and the impact of this pandemic around women and we expressed within our pre-hearing statement we pointed to CSI's work in that regard and have our strong opinion that this plan only further compounds the difficulty that women have in re-entering the workforce and finding opportunities when they could be challenged with a question of how they do these trips with regard to healthcare and and um, uh, store, I mean the, the obligation upon women in move, the movement of the family is is real, and so I think it's also important to note that there could be an, a, another disproportionate impact upon women in their reentry into the market um, and its employment arena. And so we encourage voices from all sectors to weigh into this process. I think it's really important. Sandra, I can uh, uh, attest to the fact that that I know female uh, staff members we have. Um, they, you know, they drive here and they may be dropping their kids off at uh, preschool, maybe dropping yeah. them off at school. They leave here, they may be picking up kids from school or activities or whatever. And unfortunately, light rail doesn't quite work well for something like that. And at the same time. Uh, when you think about the, the regular bus routes that people could take, unfortunately, they don't support uh, family activities like that either. So I can certainly uh, tell you that the, from uh, my particular uh, viewpoint and the staff we have here and the incredibly capable ladies we have working on our staff, life is a little bit more complicated from going to A to B, and that's all there is to it. Uh, Tom, I want to uh, go back to you just for one second. Uh, Sandra mentioned the things are that the rules are being drafted right now. What do you see that could be changing, and what are your recommendations? Uh, great question, Earl. We'd like to see some uh, again modifications of the proposal to, to, to enter more into a partnership with business, um, as opposed to just kind of a, a parental mandate to truly impact the air quality. I think we is a tremendous opportunity to educate businesses and employers um, as to the actions that they and their employees may take to improve the air quality. A great example is one of our biggest air pollution issues here in the Front Range area is ozone. And ozone is effectively a combination of a couple pollutants called nitrous, nitrogen oxides and uh, volatile organic compounds. And then they, they are combined and they effectively bake with the Colorado sun. So where this really becomes an issue is the morning commute. That's why when you go to the gas station, you'll see requests to fuel your car in the afternoon or in the evening. Uh, there's encouragement to take your trips and postpone them till later in the day. If we don't have both those 
VOCs and the NOx pollutants, as well as the sunlight, if those three are together for a specified period of time, they effectively just dissipate. So that's really the goal here. So if we look at things like this, we can take those tools like that and modify this example. And this an example could be this this regulation could be modified to affect only those employers with a hundred or more people working between the hours of six and, and noon, or reporting to work between six and noon or six and ten a.m., which is the primary commute window. If we can get people outside of that window, um, either through compressed work weeks, delayed schedules, other shifts, et cetera, we could have a significant effect on ozone. That's just an example. Um, and obviously that there's other implications to greenhouse gases, et cetera. But those are a big thing. We think the employers should have the ability to put together, here's our response, here's our factors, here's who we are. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy electric charging stations. You know, Sandra indicated we have an employer down here. We have two of them, I'll refer to one real quickly here. Charter communication um, has made significant voluntary um, changes over the past couple of years. We've worked with them closely, and from 2018 to 2019, uh, in a single year, they reduced their drive alone rate by 11%, principally due to education, greater um, utilization of uh, the public transit, et cetera, as well as carpooling, biking, et cetera. So we are able to significantly move the needle on this. Companies do care. Um, another company here in town, manu small manufacturing company, uh, they, they put charging stations in, they put in showers for their employees, they, they allow their employees to work at very odd hours, so they have employees coming in at four in the morning. Um, again, all under the, these all begin to positively affect the air quality, because if I can keep the highway congestion less and improve the flow of traffic on there, it is also gonna reduce the, the, the air pollution. Um, the, the pollution really comes over the slow moving traffic and large volumes of it during those morning commute hours. So those are a couple things that we think they can do. And lastly, we'd really like you to recognize that every, again, every employee, every business does not have the same access to public transit and RTD. Um, RTD is a tremendous asset for our region. We wanna make them part of the solution and not have them be a scapegoat as being part of the problem because I've got a, a requirement that I can't meet because I don't have bus service or train service to my, to my employer. Those are some of our big recommendations. Okay, thank you, Tom. Sandra, uh, same question to you. What uh, recommendations might you have and what could you see changing? Just building upon what Tom offered, there's there's a lot of really great ideas there. We have formally um, suggested removing the specific targets that have been um, are part of the plan at present of 25% and 40%. We believe, um, again, that those are two things, not achievable in the time frame in which the state has articulated. And secondly, um, if this isn't, that moves us more closely to a voluntary plan. It moves us towards a place where employers can determine um, and are, articulate a, a, a trip reduction plan, but not be um, saddled with the uh, oversight, if you will, of the state to achieve a specific number. Those numbers are going to be difficult to achieve. And so we've suggested that they remove those targets, they work with employers to put forth and put forward plans that work for them individually and for their employees. And um, really to assess down the road how that type of approach is working for the state and the impact to single occupancy vehicle use, greenhouse gas reductions, and the like. Um, as Tom mentioned, and we were seeing it in many places, there is this strong willingness and a desire to 
do these types of programs, but when you talk about mandatory one-size-fits-all approaches, it just becomes problematic. So that's where we, we're spending some of our time with the commission um, as well. Okay, thank you. I appreciate uh, both your time and your insights. Um, you know, this is just one of the many issues uh, new employers face, and uh, and therefore it could easily fly under the radar. But uh, I'm glad you all are on top of it. Thank you very much. You know, one of the things I just make uh, I wonder is, you know, what are the chances that the business community could be given this challenge and they could get together and say here's what we're committed to and here's what we think can be done versus the state dictating something uh, specifically as to the mandates. Thoughts in closing thoughts? Well, from my perspective, I've been very pleased with the response the business community has had in engaging in this process. It's been a little slow go, but, uh, but they've taken a pretty strong stand and it's, and that's encouraging. So, certainly hopeful that the state and the commission themselves see this type of response, start to understand the concerns that the business, the employees, employers are communicating and employees as a consequence will also be communicating and, and respond accordingly. I think that's well put, Sandra. I think from our end down here in Denver South, we've got, we've got a group called the Employee Transportation Champions and we have almost 30 companies who get together regularly um, and we've, we've begun to work with them on strategies and that not specifically because this group preceded uh, this employee trip reduction plan but it, it works on a similar type program how do we reduce congestion how do we help um, improve public transit access we have some extensive materials uh, from working from home to help companies implement those programs so we we work diligently on that and we think there's a there's a fair amount of, again, a fair amount of excitement and interest from in the business community addressing this issue. So I, I likewise remain hopeful and would be happy to talk to anybody, any companies down here who would like to be uh, further involved in those efforts. Tom, Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for what you're doing for the community by being involved in this topic. And everybody, thank you. if thank you're you. further interested, we have materials that are available on CSI for you to read on our website. Thank you. Thanks, Earl. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.